This morning, I'm so excited about the opportunity that we have. When, in 2012, T and I had served at one church for, for eight years, and we, we got hurt at that church. And I, I know you, it sounds weird for someone to get hurt at a church. That never happens anymore, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but coming out of that, we internally had some questions of, you know, do we really want to do this for that much longer? Because, you know, it, it can be painful. It can be heartbreaking. And we were given the great blessing and opportunity to serve at Union Chapel in Muncie, Indiana, under a pastor named Greg Paris. And under his leadership, uh, we not only healed from the places that we got hurt, but we grew in ways that we never expected. And I, I've, I've mentioned the moment before when I was preaching here uh, of the moment where I was in the balcony at Union Chapel, and as my pastor preached from God's Word, God first spoke to my heart and said, Paul, you're going to go out and you're going to plant a church. And so I, I can say spiritually, and just for me as a person, Gulfside Church never would have happened if it wasn't for his leadership, but I can also tell you that it never would have happened if it wasn't for his support and encouragement and Union Chapel's support and encouragement as well. And so if, in the time that we've been at church, if you've been encouraged by what's happened here, or if you've experienced healing because of what God's done through the church, or if you've been encouraged because you've seen people who have been fed because we've gathered our resources and financially given to affect families here, if you've been encouraged at all, I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet with me as we appreciate and welcome Pastor Greg Paris to the stage today. Thank you, Greg, for all the ways that you've served and made this happen. I'm excited to hear from you today. Thanks, buddy. Good morning, everyone. So great to be with you today at Golfside. My wife, Beth, is here. Wave your hand, Beth. There she is. She's... We're so uh, thankful to be in Florida. We've been here over a week. And when we left Indiana, it was 17 degrees and snowing. And so we adjusted to Florida weather in February in about five minutes. It was really a quick adjustment. So we're enjoying it here very much, and we're so thrilled to be here at Golfside today. We have so many family and friends here from Indiana, and of course the Ermingers at the top of the list, Paul and Tia, uh, served on our team in Muncie for almost five years, and the Lachines, you know, Cassie Lachine and Derek and their, their, their family were also part of our church in Muncie. And Emily Norville, I know who's trans, uh, transitioning away from your staff, but has been instrumental in laying a foundation here, was also on our team there. So we love these folks so much and are so thrilled that you're enjoying them as part of your family now. So in all these ways, we see God at work orchestrating our lives together. And it's great fun. It's a real adventure. Let me just remind us this morning that there are two big things in Christianity two great things. There aren't three. There aren't five. There aren't ten. Just two. Two great things. One is called the great commandment, which is love God and love your neighbor. Command to love. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, loving God has a caveat with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So with all you got, Love God and love your neighbor with this qualifier, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's, that's a high bar, isn't it? Because we love ourselves very much. 
I mean, we've already proven it this morning. We got up this morning, we took care of ourselves, we cleaned ourselves, we dressed ourselves, we fed ourselves, we really like ourselves. And so the challenge to love our neighbor as ourselves is a unique challenge. But that's the one great, the great commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. The other great thing, there's only two, the other great thing in Christianity is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And this is simply about going into the world and offering the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ to the people who are outside of a relationship with him. And it's a big deal. It's a great thing. It's a big mandate. We're commanded to love and we're commanded to go and share the gospel with as many people as we can. So God's design for us is to gather us together into churches like Golfside, gathers together into families like this, and then quickly fling us out into the world to make a difference for Jesus' sake. In Romans chapter 1, we find the Apostle Paul using a very strange word to encapsulate his life and ministry. He said, I am indebted to all men. He said, I am under obligation." And we all know what an obligation is, right? It's when we make a promise or sign a contract or take out a loan and we are obligated to honor the terms of the agreement, pay the money back. And so we all feel that. We understand what it's like to be under obligation. The Apostle Paul actually felt this in a spiritual way because of the amazing grace that had come into his life, transforming his life completely turning his world upside down or right side up and it so impacted him that he decided to spend the rest of his life sharing this hope with others and so his waking hours his energy his strength his capacity his giftedness all of these were brought to bear to make a difference in the world for jesus sake and this was a great use of his life he said look i'm indebted to the grace of god that has rescued me from such a place of lostness and hopelessness, and now I feel compelled. I am under obligation. I feel indebted to this wonderful grace. I have uh, been in pastoral ministry now for about 40 years. I know that's hard to imagine. I don't even look like I'm 40 years old, so it's hard for you to comprehend that. But, but having been in pastoral ministry this length of time, I can tell you now, I've thought about this, what my biggest disappointment in ministry is. At the top of the list, there isn't a close second. My biggest disappointment is how little Christian people seem to care for other folks who are far from God. Not sure what that's about. I, it's above my pay grade to understand it all. I just know that Christian people sometimes lose touch with their sense of obligation. Having received so much, we lose touch with the obligation to give much, to share this hope with others. Yeah. So let me just give you three ideas today. Because I want to talk about God because he's a missionary God. He's really into this second big thing, which is to go into all the world. And let me just talk about that. And it's on your outlines too. And the first point I want to make is that we're under obligation. That's what I've been talking about. We're under obligation. And so here's your take home. This is the homework assignment. 
If you don't feel this obligation to share the hope of Christ that you have received with others, ask yourself why. Why don't you feel it? Why aren't you motivated by it? And if you are motivated by it, then you should pause and reflect on that and appreciate that and give thanks for that because that is exactly what God wants you to feel. He wants you to know that you're on mission for him. And it's a very important, very important thing. David Platt said it this way. I put it on the screen. He's uh, the, the chairman of the Southern Baptist Mission Board. He said, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. That's pretty strong language, but it says it out loud, and it's true. Let me give you the second idea that I want to share with you this morning. It's simply this. Our God is a sending God. That's what he does. God only had one son, and he made him a missionary. Think about it. Made him a missionary. Put him on mission. Jesus came into the world. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's me. He came to find me and to find you. And so that, he was on mission. He was a missionary. In fact, 44 times in the Gospels in the New Testament, we hear that Jesus was a person who was sent. 44 times the phrase, the Son of God was sent into the world for this reason. And so we understand that Jesus was sent, but watch what Jesus does. Look at John chapter 20, verse 21. Put it on the screen. Look what he says. This is very interesting. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So we're all sent. The question is, how do I live as a sent person in the world in which I live? As a person who goes to work, as a person who goes to school, as a person who have a, has social acquaintances, as a person who has hobbies, as a person who has other affiliations here and there, how can I be a person who is sent? Because as I mentioned before, God is, his motive is to gather us together in family, in churches, and then fling us out. Send us out. Because that's the mission. God is a sending God. I love this statement from Martin Luther. Check it out. He said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one heard about it. And the implication is clear, isn't it? People won't hear unless someone goes and tells. Look at this statement from Christopher Wright. He said, God's worldwide mission defines every believer's primary responsibility until Jesus returns. It's one of the two big things that he's describing there. The great commandment, and then he reminds us that the worldwide mission is our primary responsibility. This last statement I want to give you, this one kind of pokes at me. I don't know if it'll poke you. This pokes me. This is from, this is from Charles Spurgeon, and he said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You all right with that? Ouch. Kinda, that's kind of ouchy for me. But I think it's true. So our God, our God is a sending God. That's his move. That's his style. That's, his, that's what he does. That's who he is. He started with his own son, and, and he's including us. Here's the last thing I want to just say to you this morning, and that is the miraculous provision of God always follows those who send. When we find ourselves in keeping with these great things, loving God and loving our neighbor and 
and seeing the world around us and those who are far from God as a primary mission point, when we engage these things, here's what we can count on. This is what we can expect, that the miraculous provision of God will follow those who sin. Now, note the word. Note the sequence. The, the verb in this verse is follows. Mark 16, 20, Then the disciples went out, preached everywhere. The Lord worked with them and confirmed his words by the signs that followed or accompanied them. Now, here's the sequence. Here's the point. Divine provision from God never precedes obedience to the Great Commission. It always follows. What is the verb? Follows. So the miraculous provision of God never comes before the sending and the preaching. It always follows the sending and the preaching. Twelve years ago, one of my other associate pastors at the time, his name was Randy, and Randy and his wife felt called to plant a church, and, and Union Chapel, the, our church in Muncie, Indiana, is a sending church. We're a missionary kind of minded church. This is what we do. This is our move. And the reason we do this is because our God is a missionary God, and he's a sending God. This is what he does. This is what he expects. This is the call. There's only two big things. We try to love God and love our neighbor, and we try to fulfill the Great Commission. We try to spread the word. This is what we do. We ask these four questions. What in the world is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who is yet to be reached? How can we be involved? What is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who's yet to be reached? How can we be involved? We use that as a template. We ask those questions. We try to figure out what in the world God's doing. And one of the ways that we do this is by asking the question, where does, where does the world need churches? Twelve years ago, we, we decided that Fort Collins, Colorado was a fertile place, a needy place to hear the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Randy, our associate pastor, we teamed him up with three or four other families. We uprooted them from Muncie, Indiana, and we sent them to Fort Collins, Colorado, where they successfully planted a church. Great. Fort Collins is an interesting economy. In these last 12 years, it has exploded. It's very dynamic, very prosperous, very progressive-minded community. Colorado State University is there. And so real estate values just went through the roof. Dirt that was sold by the acre years ago is now sold by the square foot. If you just want a piece of dirt, you, you pay for it by the square foot. Uh, our friend Randy planted his church, got to 250, 300 people, and he was in a building that he had purchased, and it was too small. He didn't have the luxury of a beautiful high school like this or school. And so he's in this building, it's too small, so his church, it's hard to grow past the space you're in. It's just it's too crowded. So it's hard to, hard to keep growing. And so Randy got stuck in this place because he, his church wasn't large enough to go buy a big parcel of land and build a new building. And there weren't buildings available because the economy is so dynamic, they're building new stuff all the time, much like they are in Cape Coral. So you don't have empty buildings sitting around there available for churches to inherit. And so Randy began to pray, Lord, you're going to have to just help me with this. And so for years we were praying, God, help us know what to do. 
About a year ago, Randy called me and he said, uh, Greg, there's a church in Fort Collins. At one point, it was the largest church in Fort Collins. They had the vision to go out and buy several acres right in the prime real estate in Fort Collins, Colorado. They built a state-of-the-art ministry center, 60,000 square foot ministry campus in a beautiful location in Fort Collins. The church came on hard times and it, and it was in a struggling place and they asked God what they should do. And what Jesus told them was, we want you to give your building away to another local church that can make it work. And Randy said, pray because we're one of the churches they're considering. And so some months ago, Randy called me again and he said, uh, good news, they're going to give us the facility. So here's, here is a church that handed our associate Randy the deed to 17 acres of prime real estate in Fort Collins, Colorado with a 60,000 square foot state-of-the-art ministry campus. Here's the deed. Here are the keys to your office. Here's your building. These miraculous signs always follow the preaching of the gospel. We, we suspect that the facility that was just handed to us is probably worth about $25 million. Now, a moment ago when I quoted Mark 16.20, it wasn't as impressive as it is now, is it? Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that followed it. It doesn't matter what has happened so far at Gulfside Church or what will happen in the future for Gulfside Church other than Gulfside Church is faithful to get the sequence in the right order. That as you are faithful to offer the hope of Jesus Christ to people who are in your community and far from God and in other places around the world that God will lead you to, who are far from God to the degree that you commit yourself to these great things, loving God and one another and loving the world for Jesus' sake is the degree to which you will experience the miraculous provision of God. Twenty years ago, we sent members of our church to Central Asia, to the nation of Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Now think, if you can see the Soviet Union on a map, uh, and just go south, directly south, part of the original Soviet Union before it came apart in 1990 or so, are new republics that have formed there. Six new republics, they, they all end with Stan, S-T-A-N. So there's Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan. There's six of them. Kazakhstan was a place that God, through a series of events, directed us to. The Apostle Paul said at one point, I've always had an ambition to preach the gospel where it's never been heard. And so we picked up on that and we decided we'd go to Kazakhstan. We uprooted some members of our church, sent them to Kazakhstan. They learned the Kazakh language 20 years ago moved into a little village there, began to make friends, and within a couple of years, we had won the first young family to Jesus, traditionally Muslim culture. And this young family had 
two young sons. And it was the beginning of a movement among the people of Kazakhstan. Now fast forward 20 years. The oldest of those two sons of that original family in Kazakhstan ends up in Muncie, Indiana. And I sit down with Yasin, Yasin Itashev, and I say, Yasin, what do you want to do with your life? And he said, I want to plant churches in Kazakhstan. And I said, what a coincidence, so do I. This came completely out of the blue. We weren't anticipating this. We weren't expecting it. But, but our Kazakhstan story came full circle 20 years later, planting seeds 20 years ago, and all kinds of activities now coming full circle to one of our original families who came to a meaningful faith in Jesus, presents themselves to go back to Kazakhstan and plant churches. He happens to know two other Kazakh national people who are studying in Illinois at Wheaton College. And we, we, we gathered them in Muncie. And last June, we put our hands on these three young Kazakh adults and commissioned them to go back to Kazakhstan and plant house churches. Pretty cool, right? Cool story. Here's the problem. We didn't have one dollar budgeted, prepared for, to manage the Kazakh initiative. I mean, it came out of nowhere. So here are three Kazakhs. God's obviously in it. God's obviously presenting them for our support. And so we say yes to what God is doing. And so we, two days later, we put them on a plane and send them back to Kazakhstan. In the meantime, we've counted the cost. We've decided we're going to support them for three years until they can get on their feet and, and establish the church more fully in Kazakhstan, and it's going to cost about $300,000 to do it. We don't have one of those dollars. Not in the budget, not in reserves. Uh, different churches do this differently, but we don't carry a lot of reserves at Union Chapel. When God gives us resources, we spend them. Different churches are different about this. When we get resources, we open our hands and let them go. I don't want Jesus to come back and me sitting on a bunch of resources that I could have reached people for Jesus with. That's my problem. It may not be your problem. That's my problem. So I stood in front of our congregation and I said, look, this, these are the circumstances. We're sending them. We don't have any money for it. We're, in the next three years, we're going to need, need $300,000 to do it. We're not taking up an offering. We're not, I'm not begging for help. I, this is just, these are the circumstances you can be praying about this. Within 24 hours of our commissioning of that Kazakhstan team, we had $150,000 in the bank for Kazakhstan. Within 24 hours. One guy, show, one guy showed up on, to our office on Monday morning. I didn't know who he was. There's a guy here who wants to see you. Who is he? Called his name. I don't know him. What's he want? He just wants to talk to you. And I said, I'm busy. He said, he seems pretty determined. All right, send him in. He walks in. I didn't recognize him. He said, I come to your church once in a while with my wife. She, she's, she's a Christian. She follows Jesus. He said, I don't. I'm not a Christian person, but I come with my wife once in a while. But he said, I want to tell you something. He had kind of an attitude. He said, you know, every time I come to your church, it costs me. <laughs> so what are you talking about? He said, every time I come here, you're talking about something uh, about what this church is doing to reach people for Jesus. 
And he said, God starts messing with me. I said, I thought you didn't know God. He said, I don't know God. But he keeps messing with me every time I come here. He's got a check in his hand. That's why he's irritated. He said, I've decided from now on when I come to your church, I'm going to stuff my ears with cotton. So I don't have to listen to this because every time I come, God messes with me. And it costs me. Hands me a check for $11,000. He said, this is for that Kazaki stand thing that you're doing. I don't even know where they're going. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Miraculous signs of God's provision always So about three years ago, we stood up and said, we're going to plant 10 new churches somewhere in the United States and around the world in the next 10 years. Just a kind of an easy memory peg, 10 churches in the next 10 years. And it was shortly thereafter that Paul and Tia Erminger said, we think we're supposed to plant a church. And we began to process this opportunity in Cape Coral. And God helped us focus on the particular community that would be strategic and meaningful. And we made a commitment to do it. And now what we have is two years worth of miraculous stories of God's provision. And not just his provision, but miraculous stories of people's lives that have been changed. Because these signs follow preaching of the gospel. Being in this facility is a miracle of God's provision. Wasn't it nice of them to build this school for Golfside Church? <laughs> this is a beautiful facility. And, and you guys are kind enough to let the school use it during the week. <laughs> Very nice of you. But this is what God does. And there's story after story after story of God's amazing provision in our lives. My dad died recently. He was 88 years old. And he was in great health, very robust. If my dad were alive today and I, and I walked him out here and we said, guess how old this guy is? No one would guess. He was 88 years old. Nobody. Uh, I was recently with a friend of mine and he was bragging about his dad. And I thought, well, I'll brag on my dad since he's bragging on his. And I said, my dad is, he's amazing, he's charming, he's funny, he's witty, he's, he's handsome as he can be, he's, you know, he's just tall and lean and fit and full head of hair, and you'd never guess how old he is. And my, my friend looked at me and said, so were you adopted? <laughs> yeah. In 1972, I was 17 years old. That's 1972 for you young people in the room. See, if it was 1872, that would be right after the Civil War. But 1972, that's 100 years later. I know it's hard to get your mind around 1972. I was 17. My dad was 41. My dad had a business partner at the time that he'd worked shoulder to shoulder with for 18 years, and my, my, my dad's business part, partner was dying of cancer. Uh, 
And I had been, be, been a Christian, a follower of Jesus for about one year. I came to faith when I was 16 years old. And by the way, if you're young in the room today, let me just say to you, there's only one time in your life that you can give your whole life in service to Jesus. There's only one time you can do it. And that's when you're young. If you decide to follow Jesus when you're young, you can serve him your whole life. And that's the best possible use of your life. So I encourage you, say yes to Jesus as soon as you can. And my dad did not know Jesus, and he didn't have any resource, any capacity to deal with the grief he was beginning to feel at the loss of his good friend. My dad didn't have any hope. On the night my dad's business partner died, we were all very sad about that, and after we'd gotten the news, we went to bed, and just sometime after midnight, my mother came to my bedroom and said, Dad wants to talk to you. Now, the reason Dad wanted to talk to me when I was 17 years old is because after becoming a Christian when I was 16, I was a guy, when I met Jesus for the first time, I just thought he was the most interesting, most fascinating, most inspiring, most compelling person I'd ever met in my life. And that's been nearly 50 years ago, and I still think Jesus is amazing. Everybody ought to know Jesus. Everybody ought to know him. And if you don't, I invite you to know him. And I went into my parents' bedroom that night, and my dad was there in his bed, and he was in tears, and he looked at me, and he said, Greg, he said, I don't know what to do. I said, Dad, I know what you need to do. You need to make Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of your life. So, Dad, you don't have any hope. Your friend has died, and you don't know what to do about that. And you know someday you're going to die, and you're not ready for that. You need Jesus. And he looked at me, and he said, well, how do I do that? Now, I was only 17, and I'd only been a Christian for a year, but when I met Jesus, I started running hard after God. And, and already, by that time, I knew how to win someone to Jesus. And I said, Dad, all you have to do is pray a simple prayer, a prayer that God always hears every time, no matter what. Thank you for dying for my sins. I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong. Please forgive me. Cleanse me of my sin. Make me a new person. I want to live for you with all of my heart. My dad knelt down next to his bed. I knelt down right next to my dad. My mother knelt down right next to me. And I led my dad in a simple prayer like that. My dad said amen to that prayer. This was on an August night in Indiana. I don't know, if it, was, it was dead calm. In the middle of the night, second story bedroom. They had their window up and shears hanging 
in front of that window. When my dad said amen to that prayer, now God is my witness. I hope this doesn't freak anybody out. But a wind came through that second story window on a dead calm night, stood those shears straight out for about three seconds, and then just felt dead calm again. My dad went, what was that? And at 17, I had a fully formed theology. I knew exactly what God was doing at all times. <laughs> and I looked at him and said, I don't know. <laughs> but I think that was God. And of course it was. The wind of God. So my dad lived for Jesus every day after that for the next 47 years. He didn't turn back. He didn't equivocate. He didn't compromise. He never turned back. He never looked back. He loved God. He loved his family. He led us well. He was a man of integrity. And four weeks ago yesterday, he sat down in his easy chair to watch a ball game and went to sleep. Isn't that what you want, friends? Isn't that the kind of legacy you want to leave? Isn't that the kind of life you want to live? Isn't that the kind of person you want to be? Because I know what happened as soon as he walked into heaven that night. Whoever was at the gate that day pointed his finger at him. Said, behold, behold a man of virtue. And that's the opportunity all of us have to live our lives committed to Christ, loving God, loving our neighbor, and offering the hope of the gospel to the people around us. My dad was a member of the Gideons. I went out in his garage the day after he died, and I was trying to find something that my mother didn't know where it was. You know, this is the beginning of that season of life. And I opened the storage closet, and there were hundreds, boxes and boxes, hundreds of pocket New Testaments. And my dad would just randomly take a couple of those boxes over to Purdue University in Lafayette, Indiana, where he lives, and he would just stand at a busy intersection on the sidewalk and pass out New Testaments to students. Who does that? My dad did that. So if you don't know Jesus today, you can know him. It's a very simple prayer. Serious decision, simple access, completely free. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me for all the things I've done wrong. Forgive me of those sins. Come into my life. Make me a new person. Help me to live for you. All the days of my life. Let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you today for the opportunity to represent you. And I thank you for Gulfside Church and for the witness that this church is and will continue to be in this community.
for so many wonderful lives. I pray for those of us who have said yes to Jesus and enjoy the blessing and benefits of that. And also, oh God, for the debt that we feel because of your amazing grace in our lives. And I pray for any person in the room today who's yet to say yes to this amazing love and grace. Thank you today that you would hear their prayer and receive them into your family. In all these ways, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people might say amen. Amen. Can we celebrate that encouraging word that we heard today? Thank you, Pastor Greg.